This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to the Media Week Pine Gap Podcast. We won't be just Pine Gap, we'll talk about a few other things too, but uh, my special guest today, Greg Hadrick. Greg, welcome. Thank you, James. Thank you for having me. It's been a little while since I've seen you. I've talked to you a lot a few years ago. Yeah. Underbelly Days, a few things uh, around then. After that with Janet King and Crownie, stuff yep. like that. But yep. um, we'll talk basically Pine Gap, but I want to get into a few other things. Talk about drama in general. Yeah. Um, streaming versus free to air, because this show's going to be seen on both eventually. Yeah. Um, but we'll start off Pine Gap. Now, you, you're credited as the uh, co-creator, executive producer, writer, and they chuck in showrunner as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How many times can you get credited? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But just give us a little history of, of this project. Uh, it, uh, it began uh, four years ago, actually, after um, we'd finished making Anzac Girls for the ABC. Uh, which I executive produced and Felicity co-wrote with Nikki Aiken and, and Lisa produced. This was Felicity um, Packard. Felicity Packard and Lisa Scott. Yes. And uh, and uh, Coral Sklan at the time was saying, you know, what can we do next? And uh, Felicity and I sat down and, and I'd always had an interest in, in politics and being a child of the 80s, you know, knew about Pine Gap and, and knew that it was a base which was manned half by Americans and half by Australians and thought that'd be a great idea for a political thriller just to sort of do a different genre and uh and felicity who lives in canberra said she was really fascinated by what the world of intelligence does to the lives and relationships of people because she'd seen that with some friends of hers who'd, who'd worked in the australian signals directorate so together we thought well let's um let's go with that one <clears throat> so that's how it, that's how it initially came about yeah so I guess four years for a series isn't that long a time because it takes a long time, doesn't it, from when you first have that thought yeah. to when it gets to the screen. And, you know, we were both, at that time we were still, uh, you know, on staff at screen time, so other things were happening okay. and the other Janet Kings were happening and uh, and, and things like that. So you, you do a bit of work and it develops for a while, then it drops back and then you pick it up again and then you have to sort of look for partners and some people are interested and you have interesting conversations and then they drift away, then someone else comes in and that's... Four years is, is actually not abnormal for a show mm. like this. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Now, do you used to have an executive role at Screen Time. Do yeah. you still do that as well? No, I resigned from uh, from that on uh, the end of last year, December thirty okay. first. Yes. So, although I stayed on uh, for the run of show for Pine Gap, um, uh, it was only on that show. It wasn't with the with the rest of the Screen Time drama slate. Okay. Well, just talk us through a little bit of the process then. I mean, you so you, you have an idea for a show. Mm. Um, how much hard work do you do on scripts and outlines and stuff like that before you get interest, you know, f- from uh, a, we would have would fly with a with a production house or a network? Yeah, well, there was, there was an initial proof of concept document that we did for the ABC. Is that common? Um, <laughs> sort of. Was there nothing I, common in? No, there's sort of yeah, everything's slightly different variations of other things. I think. Um, and and so we, we did that initial five, ten-page document about the world and what the base was and what Alice Springs was as far as we understood and knew. You know, you can only know what you can know in an unclassified sense. Uh, and then the ABC agreed to develop first drafts of EPS 1 and 2, and uh, which which they did throughout 2014. And we would have done, you know, a first draft with a couple of polishes of both 1 and 2. And at that point, um, they said, well, to to make this properly, you probably do need to shoot in Alice Springs and, you know, you would have to build something which approximates, resembles or at least reflects the base. Uh, so we probably need a partner with some deeper pockets than, than ours to join us on this. And uh, 
that's when it began the you know if you go to Los Angeles or you go to MIP or MIPCOM and there was uh, there was a lot of initial interest but then converting initial interest particularly from Americans who at that stage were uh, um, just beginning this whole international drama thing it was sort of a, a, a thing in the distance which they think well, we, we could get there but you know, we'd be making a show where? How many thousands of miles away? And how much do you want? And mm. So, and then, as I said, we got sidetracked by making other shows and, and you know, keeping the, uh, the company going, et cetera, that sort of thing. Um, so it wasn't until, uh, and we would have done another couple of drafts, two or three, four drafts, I suppose, in that three-year period. Um, so it was fairly well developed in, in our minds. Uh, we'd gone down a few blind alleys, we'd backtracked, we'd figured out a right path for it. Um, and then I had an email f- out of the blue from Elizabeth Bradley at Netflix um, saying she'd um, she'd seen some of the shows uh, that I'd done. Like, okay. Uh, you know, Underbelly, Anzac Girls, Cloud Street, Janet King. Um, was there anything that we might be able to work together on? So this was before you'd approached them yeah. with Pine Gap? Yeah. That was fortuitous, wasn't it? It was. And... And it, yeah, it was. And so, you know, a, a few people have asked me, you know, how I managed to get in the door at Netflix. And the, the truth is they came to me. Mm. Um, uh, but on the back of a body of work, it yeah. wasn't out of the, totally out of nothing. Sure. Uh, so we sent them the drafts that we had in the outline for the rest of the show. Um, they, Netflix work in a, in a, it, Every network, every end user is a bit different. Um, our experience with them, um, and others may have other experiences, but ours was that we then had over the, over two weeks, we would have had three or four calls with LA, um, and they interrogated the story and the characters and the concept um, quite a lot and suggested a few things that might work, tweaks that might work a little better for them. Were we happy with that? If not, it's fine. Um, at the end of those conversations, there was, there was an an agreement of a creative vision that they bought into. And um, at that point, they said, well, what do you need to make it? And, right. And we told them and they, they called back two days later. What was the sort of the, the pitch? Was it a, was it a thr- sort of spy world thriller with a love affair or what was it? Uh, yes, it was, was it was always – it was. Although we always called it a political spy thriller, mm. what we were saying was that the themes were trust and loyalty and those themes would play out uh, on a personal level uh, amongst the workers there, on a managerial level uh, between the people who run the base and on a national and international level. Okay. So we were always saying there were those levels that the themes would resonate. Those layers of, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Did that change much no. over the period? So that was one of the... That was that, the original idea actually ended up being... yeah sort of the basis for yeah. the, for, for what you've delivered. It was. Yeah. yeah. Did um, Netflix have any of the old series as part of their library they've acquired over the years of, of screen time? I think stuff? they do. Yeah. yeah. I, I couldn't with authority say which ones, but they do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. They have licensed several of the, of the series we've made. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. To, and then so then you, then you get stuck into scripts? Yes. Then there was – once they said, yes, let's make it, there would have been another uh, nine, ten months before we rolled cameras, uh, and that was for Felicity and I. That was intense because obviously, when someone says, "Yes, the funds are green lit. This is going to happen," mm. all of a sudden you move from second gear to third gear to fourth gear. Um, 
we had a very strong idea because we'd been talking to them about it, about what EPS 3, 4, 5 and 6 were. So we we sort of did those. Then we went back over and swept through all six episodes again and again and again, three or four times. Okay. Because by then you've got a schedule, right? So you're working to a you're deadline, working to a deadline which yeah. is a bit of a motivator, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it always is. And that's mm. it, it's often the nature of TV drama that um, – no one has the development funds to actually develop the entire scripts up front. Uh, but once they push the button and say, let's go with it, you've, you've got to finish writing in a hurry because then there's a production deadline mm. and any delay costs. Um, so we were, we were at least far enough advanced in our thinking and had enough time to have all six scripts shooting and release scripts in place before we started okay. the shoot. Okay. Now, I'm sure I asked you this before during a, an underbelly chat once, but given your executive role as mm. well as sort of a creative on the program, is it sometimes hard to juggle that? I mean, if you need to have a day writing, can you – and I think you told me you did. You can just go into your office and yeah. and turn off everything else and write. And write. Did, and that, that was the case with this too. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because a lot um, of people probably couldn't do that, could they? They'd find that difficult or – some, I don't know, you, you, you sort of... I've, was it nice to be able to go to work and say, okay, I'm here to work? It is, There's actually. no other distraction. Yeah, it is. And I've, I've, I've got used to being able to write with all sorts of things happening around <laughs> me um, and just sort of be in a little little zone to do that. The, most of the hard work had been done before that. Um, the, the writing you're doing during the shoot is reacting to schedule changes, to length of episode changes, to um, location changes, to that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, but there was... I think, and and we were, by that stage, when we we're talking, you know, this calendar year, 2018, I wasn't head of drama at screen time, so I didn't have to look over all the other dramas they were developing, mm -hmm. so I could focus totally on this one. Yeah. The, and I might have asked you this before in the past too, to, to me, looking at screen time, you always seem to have a good system where you could do a lot with, I don't know, economise well mm. to get something look really good. But maybe it is a bit of trickery. I don't know. But you can. You just knew how to work smarter. And I don't know whether you could do that more. Or everyone has to know that when they work in drama. But you seem to do it very well. Did is that right? And did that help you with this project? Yes, I believe it still helped with this project. Um, uh, to bring this project in on time and on budget, you still had to box clever almost every day of the shoot. Um, and for me, that actually goes back to. Home and away, really. It okay. goes back to fast-paced serial TV and learning how to react very quickly and, and knowing the, the sort of patterns that you need to um, to react to that mm. um, and thinking where's the minimum necessary change that has to happen to stay on time and on budget without the audience noticing it on screen. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The length of the shoot, how long was that? Uh, it was about 10 weeks. Okay. So, and there was a second unit and a couple of Saturdays, so about 53 days, 53, 54 days. How much of that was on location? Uh, three weeks was in um, Alice Springs, which was entirely location. Then I think we had two, three, two and a half weeks in um, at the old Holden factory in Elizabeth in South Australia, which oh, is really? where our exterior base is. Uh, and then the rest was in Adelaide Studios. Yeah. So you've got quite a connection with Adelaide now. There's, I think you have an office there. Don't you? Yeah, screen time does. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> of Wolf Creek as well. I yeah, we're there for two Wolf Creek, Anzac Girls, then Wolf Creek One, Wolf Creek Two, and then Pine Gap. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's a good place to shoot. Yeah. Was did Netflix visit during the shoot? They came out for two days, okay. um, and they weren't there for the script read through. 
um, and the half a day before that and half a day after that. Okay. Uh, so they were in Adelaide, I think, for a total of about 48 hours, not much more. They never came to the actual shoot. Okay. Was that the only physical interaction yeah. between? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? Other than that, um, it's been all phone calls and file transfers to Los Angeles. One would imagine they've got a pretty good system because they're churning out that much content. They, they, they've yeah, got it fine They're pretty tuned. well organised. <laughs> they are well organised. Right. Yeah, and they respond very quickly and they know when things are coming in. And uh, the, the executives that we were dealing with, uh, we were one of 13 shows that they had on at the time. And so they, they, they had to stay well organised to keep wow. everything on. So they're hand. juggling all these different all things, All these different right? shows, yeah. 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 At yeah. different stages. Some are in script stage, watching rushes. And work. they, yeah, so I guess they could had access to the servers to watch. They watched all the rushes, the- yes. And uh, uh, they, <clears throat> the picture cuts, they would have three sets of notes on each picture cut and at least two, sometimes three sets of notes on the sound mixes. So they're playing plenty of attention. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. Wow. You're going backwards and forwards to LA yeah. quite a bit. Which is good because you think, well, they really care, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. They did. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they knew what they'd bought at the very beginning and they were, you know, making – they were lovely to work with and very polite to work with but very firm about wanting to receive the show that they'd, they'd ordered. Were they a senior partner, if you like? Or did uh, they with the ABC? Yeah, or did they? Um, re- was it really a co? Oh, probably not. Marginally, that it matters, but I'm just marginally, if, I yeah, suppose. Okay. Yeah. Um, but if there ever was a dispute, they could have pulled rank. Not that it did. It, it, never, happened. it never happened. It never happened. So I, I wouldn't like to say what what would have happened if it had. Yeah. Uh, the ABC were. Um, they had some things which were important to them editorially um, and Netflix had some things that were important to them and then, of course, in the middle were uh, things which were open to opinion and there was it was usually just a discussion. Yeah. Yeah. Has that ever happened on any, you don't have to say which ones, but has it ever happened there's been disputes that have had to be resolved by a, a vote of the... It, not with me, with actually. No, no. No. It's been It's been pretty much... Almost everything I think I've been involved in has... You've Managed had to negotiate. ...one master or you negotiate. Yeah. 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 Okay. I I mean, I love the first episode. That's all I've seen. If I had a bit more time, I would have boned up. Because <laughs> they're all up on iView. They're all right? up on iView. Yep. Yes, you can see all six. Okay. Yeah. The, now, the so the six episodes. Yeah. So there's after, the, we're talking after the first two have been broadcast. Is yes. that right? Yes. So there's four left. Yes. Yep. Okay. That's right. Okay. Yeah, I went into it with no expectations other than that you're involved, screen time's involved. It's going to be pretty good. And I was, I was, pleasantly surprised because I and I didn't really know what it was about so I love the mystery sort of angle to it mm. um, and and the romance thing that, that, that crops up yeah. the relationship between the staff so I thought yeah I just really Thank enjoyed you. that episode yeah um, and I loved the sets and so I'm, I've got lots of questions here now the actual pine gap itself mm. now that's all done as um, SFX right uh, when you when those establishing shots, the sort of drone shots over the top of the base, yeah, entirely CGI. Right, we couldn't, we were not allowed uh, to uh, have one frame of the real base in shot ever. Yeah, which is fine. It's understandable. Yeah. Are there are there images of the real thing? Oh, look! If you go to Google Earth and things yeah. like that, and there's. Um, uh, Nautilus is one um, unclassified open source. If you know where to look on open source you can find pictures of the real base. What uh, what we could never find, I'm not sure if you can or not, I don't think so, is any sense of 
uh, like the pictures show the buildings, but it's actually which building is the operations floor and which building is the administration wing and which building is blah, 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 you're never sure of. Did you need to make it look a little bit different so they didn't really think yeah. you were trying to yeah. replicate uh, we were, it? We were quite happy to do that. We always yeah. we always said, look... Because who, who'd know, right? Who'd know? Yeah. And, and where we weren't... We weren't making a documentary. We're not investigative journalists. Uh, we're not trying to um, uh, broadcast a big expose on Pine Gap. We want to represent the base and represent what it means nationally to Australia and want to represent the type of operations that it gets itself involved in. Uh, and so our, our view would be, well, so when we shot the exterior of the base at the Holden factory in Elizabeth, which is now all closed down, we modelled our base on that factory, not on the real base. Okay. But the footprint that it, that it sort of occupies in the valley um, is roughly the same. So it is roughly that size. It yeah. does have roughly that number of ray domes. The buildings are roughly that big, but it's not like the real base. What's going to happen to that factory? Is it still still pretty much it's, as it was, is it? It's still, yeah. It's just um, lying there empty. I think, I believe they have sold it. I'm not sure who the new owner is. Uh, so if we get a second season, hopefully we can negotiate going back there with a new owner. But, right. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. The, uh, in that, what do you call it, the control room? The, the operations floor. Operations floor. Wow. Yeah. You've done a great job there. That looked very authentic. It, <laughs> it, it helped... Do you have a clever electrician? Tell, tell us a bit about it that. It was exhausting. Well, we didn't we, – we, yes, if we knew what we knew now, as they say. Right. Um, we had worked with David Rosenberg, who was uh, uh, a consultant of the series, who had been an, um, a signals analyst at Pine Gap for several years, really? 18 okay. years. And he told us from the very beginning he could help us with any unclassified information. Um, if we strayed into areas that were classified, he would just say nothing. Um, and so he helped us develop uh, a, a version of the set which, again, in his words, was, was representative of the real operations floor without being, you know, if you went to the real place, you'd, you'd go, well, it's not quite like that. But, um, but in terms of the massive banks of monitors and in terms of the areas you have of Elint and Fizint and Comint and um, as far as we know, that's, that's reasonably true to life. Uh, but we then had to build a set that... From the beginning, we thought there's, there's been various reports in open source that the actual surface area of the real operations floor is close to the MCG. So it's okay. big. Wow. Yeah. I believe that's split between two or three different areas, but I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, so we thought we wanted to have something which gave a sense of size that you would not normally see in Australian TV. Uh, so that meant we had to sort of people with extras, we had 168 monitors. And of course, when you have 168 monitors, they've got to be on. You've got to have something on them. Um, and that's easy to say, you know, 10 weeks out from the shoot, let's build this huge set with 168 monitors. And boy, the day we started shooting there and realised that we had to have, you know, what's on this one? What are they looking at? What's it doing? Mm. So the art department um, under Scott Bird did a brilliant job in terms of actually making sure that all those graphics... Uh, did you have to get that many monitors? Yeah. Where'd you get them from? Uh, look, some I, like recycling was, joints and something yeah, like that? There was, yeah. No, you I wouldn't think, want I to be buying new, would you? Sorry. <laughs> uh, no, there was one company that helped us. Oh, okay. Um, okay. But you can, being an ABC production, you can't actually plug them. But if you mm. watch the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you can work it out. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That's good. Um, the 
how many people work there roughly? Are there hundreds or hundreds? Yeah, yeah. about. I think there's about 800 per shift and there's four shifts. Look, it, it, the numbers that we heard varied between 800 and 2,000. And a mix of Australians and Americans? It, it is pretty much... Was it? 50-50 American-Australian. Okay. That's... And it's close to Alice Springs that they can commute in and out? Yeah, 20 k's. You can okay. drive. Yeah, oh, we, right. we often drove out to the sign. Uh-huh. I mean, our sign, which is identical to their sign, <laughs> isn't on that road. We right. put it somewhere else. Uh-huh. Um, but you can drive out of Alice as far as that sign and then, you know, if you do go beyond it, you will be met by a federal police car. Yes. So, um, which, but then we had, we weren't interested in trying to bust into the base or anything. Sure. Um, but no, and a bus does take most of the workers out there. They've got shuttle yeah. buses going from Alice to the yeah. base and back. You know, Fantastic. So, yeah. Mm. So the real numbers, I'm not sure. Um, no one's ever denied that it's more or less 50-50. The chief of facilities is always American. The deputy chief is always Australian. That's on open source. Um, and it goes down. There's And there's a, a a big share. In other words, all the intelligence is shared between the two countries. Did you let authorities know yes. what you're going to be doing? And they hmm. and you got feedback that, that, look, yeah, you can do this. but was, We didn't get did that feedback. Just, no. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We let them we let them know what we were doing and that we yep. were doing this show and it was for ABC and Netflix, etc. Uh, we assured them it was A, it was fictional. Uh, we assured them B, we weren't going to have any shots of the real base in there. And uh, the, de- the response from the Department of Defence was, thank you for telling us. Um, you keep out of your way and we'll keep out of yours. Okay. So there's, there was no... Like for, for those who, who suspect there may be any sort of propaganda element mm. to it, uh, there was actually no dialogue between the government and us at all. It all came from from us observing things in the newspaper, reading foreign affairs magazines, talking to some um, academics who are very close to defence but not part of it, that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Casting. What, um, what stage do you start thinking about a cast? In the whole process, um, in in this one, it was it was later than usual because we were, uh, you know, getting Netflix on board and making sure that you know them combined with the ABC that we had a show was was the longest part of the journey, um, and it wasn't. Then we needed to get a director on board, uh, so it was really only after Matt King came on as director that um, that we started thinking casting, right. Because it's not about a pivotal character. There's not one, is there? Really, no. it's more. It, it an is an ensemble, ensemble piece. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. And and we, it is an ensemble piece. Mm. And we we were wanting to carry out those themes of trust and loyalty across and secrecy across a whole range of relationships, which which argued that it needed to be an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did did Netflix have much input into casting? Yes, they were. Uh, they. They were never prescriptive, mm-hmm. but they, when they had a firm opinion, they would offer it. Um, and, you know, we were usually wise enough to accept it. Um, but no, they, we consulted them and the ABC very closely about casting. Are there some cast there with an eye to an international market? That yeah, Yes, but not superstars. Mm. We didn't need, when I say we didn't need, it was that sort of came from Netflix. They were saying, don't... Do try and get the best actors you can for the role within the okay. budget. Um, we 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 don't need you know 
poster names as such. We just need, you know, really strong actors in all those roles. Mm-hmm. That was their main their main thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that said, the because the nature of that base, that it is a little American community inside Australia, uh, we were hoping to get, you know, a, a couple of people that, and, and Parker Soyes is terrific actually, although he lives in London, he is, he is American. Right. Okay. Which helped. Okay. Is it hard, um, it's a biggish cast, getting, it's quite a lot getting made here mm. all the time. Is it hard juggling availabilities and stuff like yeah. that? And, and I guess when it gets down to it, shooting days around, oh, he can't be here this week, yeah, but he can be the, here this week. Yes. And, and that's becoming par for the course across the whole industry. Mm. Yeah. Is it now tougher than it, it was in the past? I think so because because there are so many shorter run series um, and, you know, people are on options to those shorter run series, but some aren't on options to those shorter run series. But they're, when you were doing Blue Healers, mm-hmm. you're in permanent work for 44 weeks of the year. Yeah. Um, now if you're doing a, a six-hour something and then you're looking to do an eight-hour something else and a four-hour something else before you come back to the six-hour something else, there's a lot more juggling than there, than there used to be. Right, right. The... Um any of the cast you're particularly excited about? I, I would not wish to single no. any of them out, actually. I could go down through, you know, Parker, Tess Halbrick, Steve Toussaint, Jack McKenzie, Steve Curry, Lewis Fitzgerald, Edwina Wren, Alice Kiervang, um, Sachin Job. They, they were, and uh, they, they were, Madeline Madden does a fabulous job. Mm. So there's Millie Alcock does a beautiful job as a young, young girl in Alice. Uh, Mark Leonard Winter does an extraordinary job. So there's, we were after an ensemble, and I think what we got and what we've delivered to the audience is a is a truly great ensemble. Yeah, I particularly like Stephen Curry because I can yeah. I can bring out some people, but I'm often surprised when I say because his his persona is eyes a is a bit of a comedian, yeah, a good bloke. Yeah. But when you see him portraying a character, he, he becomes that character, yeah. And I think back to when he was Graham Kennedy. Yeah. And uh, and been in his role in this is just you know you go wow he's he's a really good actor. He really is. Yeah. And I you know, I've loved working with Steve in the past, but uh, the the character the way he interpreted and brought to life um, Jacob Kitto is is terrific. Mm. And and he uses his humour in a character that no one else finds funny. <laughs> as you yeah. watch as you watch more and more episodes. Right. Um, he does have a very dry, laconic Australian sense of humour, mm. which, of course, the Americans just don't <laughs> <laughs> don't get at all. Yeah. And yet he has a – the character also has a sort of mean, egocentric streak in him. And um, Steve can play that and still is eminently watchable. You're never, you're never turned away from that. You're compelled to watch it more. Yeah. Yeah, he's terrific. As a writer, if you know people – who are going to portray characters, can that colour Look, your it, it, it can, content? It, and I think that's one of the... Like, I'm, I'm not a writer who sort of does that, actually. I, I very rarely have, particularly in a new show, have people in my head when I'm writing the dialogue. I have, I've got okay. fictional characters that what they look like... They don't look like um, an actor that I know. They're like a, a, a mixture of people that I know, etc., you know, that, that obviously changes once you get into season two and season three. And, you know, by the time I was doing, say, season three of Janet King, then Marta's voice was in my ear the whole time. And you could, you knew exactly how she would say that and, and what would work for her and what she would bring to the Does role. Does it make it easier? 
In that case, yes. In that case, it did. I thought, um, uh, you know, Marta's uh, performance there was extraordinary and that, that in turn, in a sort of cart and horse way, fed back into the scripts. Um, whereas with, with Pine Gap, uh, when we were... It wasn't until the very end that it was finally all cast. So, no, we had different visions in our mind. Um, and then when you watch the finished thing, some are pretty much spot on to what we envisaged and some are different, but you go, gee, it still works. Mm. In fact, it's better. Mm. Um, so that's, it's a it's an evolving process, which is one of the excitements of the industry, that you're, you're never bored by you know what other people bring to your show. Sure. When um, Netflix don't, rely on ratings as such, but they they probably know more than anybody in the world yeah. how their content's consumed, mm, they by do. who, yep. the times, you know, how long they stayed with it, stuff like that. Yeah. Do you, do they talk about that with you? That In a general sense, yes. In a specific sense, no. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they do have a, uh, uh, a sort of little show and tell meeting a week or two out from production. Okay. Uh, at which you learn a little bit more about how Netflix works. Uh, and you're right, I don't think it's any great secret that they they do an enormous amount of, of research on each Netflix subscriber, of whom there's 130, 40 million, 50 mm-hmm. million, something like that. Um, they're fond of saying that no two people have the same Netflix, that whatever comes up on your screen is different from what comes up on mine, is different from what comes up on your wife's or son's or whatever. Um, <clears throat> and they... They are working all the time to tailor their product so that you're more likely to watch it. So their their yardstick as, uh, for success is different from a, a broadcast commercial television. And I think people are have, over the last year to two years, that's become clearer to everyone that out of the whereas a, a, a free to air TV model is in in a in a general sense in a black and white sense they're trying to get the biggest audience they can. Mm. Um, so if you paralleled that with Netflix, you'd say, well, surely Netflix want to try and get as many of the 150 million subscribers um, to watch this new show as they can. And the answer is no. No, they they do their algorithms differently. They want to make each subscriber happy. And they know if you're the subscriber who watches this particular style of shows, two or three genres, but not those, that they've got to keep you happy. Right. And so what the number is of people who they expect to watch Pie and Gap I'm not sure. They do. And whether it is successful or not in their eyes depends how many of those people, A, turn the show on, B, stay with it. There's sort of pushes all around the world to have Netflix, you know, I think in Europe they've imposed sort of content quotas Mm. and Netflix seem to be responding to that. Okay, they're setting up production bases and all that thing. Do you think that's a good thing and should we have one here? Look, I don't, I, I don't have a hard and fast opinion on it but, and I, because I really haven't thought about it in great detail because I've actually been so busy trying to make a show for them <laughs> rather than, than think mm. about that. And I, my sort of... Um, no, I wouldn't really like to say yes or no yeah. on that one. I mean, it's been, it's been a pleasure making a show for them and working for them and I took the view early on when that sort of... We need to impose quotas on on uh, streaming services started to gain momentum. At that stage, we were already uh, 
in bed with Netflix in terms they'd, they'd committed to the show, et cetera, and we were going through the final scripting and pre-production. And so I took the view that rather than try and in, engage in that sort of debate when they're my buyer, mm. um, I thought the best thing I could do both for Netflix and for the local industry was try and make the best show possible for Netflix. And by doing that and giving Netflix confidence that you could actually uh, team with production companies in Australia and make great drama that works for them would make the conversation easier whichever way it went. Right, right. Would you, has it been a good experience working with them and would you like to do it again? Absolutely. It's been terrific. Yeah. It really has. And a few people seem surprised when I say that, but they they have been a delight to work with. Um, very smart, only get involved when you're straying from the creative vision that they bought in the first place. Um, and as I said, you can, there's only been a, two or three times where they've said, no, look, we really don't want to do that or no, we really do want to do that. 98% of the time, they'll put a view and then say, but look, you know, they'll talk to, and often on the phone, it was Lisa and Felicity and myself, and they'd say, you know, you three decide what you want to do. Um, here's our view. But if you really believe that the best thing for the show is something else, then do it. Can that ever be good feedback for a producer that look it a, is, a third eye going, oh, and, and you might it review is. it yourself and go, well, actually, yeah. It is. Because often, you know, four out of five times when they, they'd say, well, have you thought about this? And let's just have a look at this moment here. You'd go, yeah, okay, that's a fair point. Yeah, and uh, and you would change it, right? Okay. There are there are only a, yeah. I mean, I'd I'd have to think and go back now. There were a handful of things that became uh, they were never contention, but points of difference. Uh, but they were easily resolved. They were they were really terrific to work for. Without spoilers, of course. Um, does the series end? Does it give you some sort of closure to the? the story you sort of weave at the same time maybe leaving it that's, for, a, that's exactly, for a progress forward? That is exactly it, yeah, and that's what everyone was after. You, that there, there, was, there was a resolution to make this series satisfying and enough loose ends to make you go, God, I'd like to see a second season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sometimes as a viewer I feel cheated's a bit strong, but that... I've given all my time and then this storyline is just really hasn't left me hanging. And uh, there were, and I get that, but I felt like I deserve maybe some mm. more payback before they move on to a second season. Well, I, I, I hope and what we it's were... It's an unfair no, no, it's, thought from a viewer. It is a, it is a difficult... Uh, no, it's not. It's a difficult one because a, a lot of those end users still want returnable series and yet want audience satisfaction in one season. And it, it sounds an easy thing to do at once, but it's it's not necessarily. Mm. Uh, and sometimes it's very hard. I mean, we've staged the end of our EP6 in a way that um, there's, there's an end and an answer to one uh, question. Then there's a final scene which makes you think, oh, hang on, let's go back and have a re-look at that. And, and I... I it impacts several scenes running through the piece if you go back and watch it again with that last scene in mind. And when I talk about this sort of thing, I always look back at Wolf Creek and think, gee, they've had some, <laughs> they've had some amazing final scenes in, <laughs> in Wolf Creek. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know. That was fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I can imagine the sort of creative discussions that must have been sort of yeah. 
led up to that, you know, what if we did that? What if we did this? Yes, and, and it must be one of the one of the highlights of, of working on a season that you think, well, actually, how are we going to wrap it, this up? It is. And a, and and a challenge. Too, yeah, it's a challenge, but it can be very satisfying. Yeah, mm. because if you can find a way in which everything is wrapped up and yet you leave the audience wanting more, mm. you know, when you, when you do um, create something that manages to hit both those marks, yeah. then it feels great. Yeah. And often you sit back and go, where did that come from? And yeah. Yeah, look, um, so that's Pine Gap. Look, before we run out of time, I'd love to chat to you quickly about some of your other stuff. I mean, Underbelly is the thing I, I, I most think about you with. Mm. Is that is that one of your career highlights? Is that and, – and what did it – did it do much for – for the Greg Hadrick brand, or was it? <laughs> it's, I mean, it was pretty. You, you've did got a good screen time brand, is it? <laughs> yeah, or did it? Yeah, yeah, it did. That, yeah. It, it was it was terrific business for screen time, and you know, and me, yeah. it was. But and Peter Gall around Fisty Packer. Mm. Um, Underbelly was, I I believe I've made, and I'm in saying this, I'm mostly talking about the first season, which is the one that's become sure most legendary, um, uh, which I. Even at the time, we thought, God, I think we've done a good series here. And uh, and I believe it is a fine series. I also believe I've done other things as good as Underbelly. Uh, I doubt, maybe, maybe not, but I'm, I'm very lucky that once in my life I had something which was an absolute breakout hit. Many people go through very fine careers and, and mm. don't have that experience. Uh, and there's nothing you can do to repeat to make that happen again. Um, a set of circumstances beyond beyond your control. Like you made the best show you could, but I've done that half a dozen other times, ten times. Um, the surrounding circumstances that made that the the iconic series it became, uh, I'm just thankful for. Yeah, it opened. It it wasn't a massive seller around. It did sell in many places around the world, but because of the subject matter and the MA rating, etc. It couldn't play in prime time or in the afternoon. Mm. Um, it became very well known within the industry. So for both Bob and Des at screen time and for me personally, it did mean that when you, when I sort of first started going to Los Angeles and, and to London, uh, my connection with that program certainly, certainly helped. Well, that's what I loved about it. You saw things on TV you don't normally see mm. and it made me sit up, take notice and it makes you stay with it mm. because you can a show can be good, but without really, yeah. yeah. And there can, there's a lots of us, you and me. I bet we've both got a list of stuff we'd love to watch. We're never going to do it, yeah, because there's too much too out much. there. We'll end up dying without seeing <laughs> See, all this yeah. stuff, right? But there's certain things that you really make time for because they do. They just grab you in that little bit harder. Yeah. And to me, um, Underbelly was like that. And, I mean, a lot of people said it was never as good, but I'm sorry, but I stayed with it all the way. It I, was, I found lots to love in, in virtually in all, all seasons, you know. Yeah, yeah. Some great work. I it think. was uh, – each series was so different mm. um, than the others and each has its own history. Uh, but you can go to right down to, for me, the like I was very proud of Badness. Um, and I didn't write any badness. Actually, I was just I was the executive producer on that. But uh, uh, but I thought that was a, a fine underbelly. But I could go through all of them. And yeah. it, it was interesting. The um, when people say it was never look, I don't know. I think you can only be new once, and and that was why the memory of the first sure. one remains. Yeah, I mean, I was like we had an office in uh, Potts Point until very recently for about six or eight years, and never once did I. <laughs> Not walk down Darlinghurst Road without <laughs> without 
wanting to do that bit of yeah. a slow mo walk <laughs> and, and thinking about some of those scenes. You yeah. know, it was just, it was just, yeah, yeah. it was fantastic stuff. What other things that have been creatively fulfilling for you that you've that you've enjoyed? Uh, Cloud Street. Yep. Um, which was a mini series we did for uh, Foxtel. Well, it's a Tim Winton. Tim Winton novel, uh, and we did it for uh, the Movie Network on on Foxtel um, before Showcase was a yep. a channel, etc. Um, Pioneering I, days of Foxtel almost, wasn't yeah. it? When they, had, when they had so many movie channels. Yeah. So I, that was one which didn't didn't receive the traction that I thought it would. Mm. And um, but I'm always very proud of Cloud Street. I think it's a fine production. Um, Steve Curry again, actually. It's probably still um, around on some platforms would, yeah, to, to watch. I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, that one, Anzac Girls. Uh, I'm very proud of Janet King. All yep. three series of that. Um, yeah. There's there's been. I've been lucky to have some highlights. Yeah. Is there stuff, are there stories you've carried along that you've never either developed yeah. or couldn't get anyone else to get interested yeah. in? Is there still stuff that there's still stuff you like might that. think, I think, oh, I'd like to get this one day? I know. No, they, they exist. There's, yeah. a, there's a draw full of those. Okay. And, you know, some of them you tell the story at parties and everyone goes, that's fantastic. And you, you go to pitch meetings and they go, no. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, but, but why? Why? Mm. So, mm. yeah. There's, there's always sort of reasons why momentum goes for and against things, uh, and uh, you know the, the history of why shows actually get commissioned um, is a checkered one and, and not always as straightforward as as you would think it would be. Can they be pretty tough pitch meetings when you go in with high hopes and you can <laughs> leave with them? I guess a bit shattered. Um, I've, uh, yeah, initially I think fifteen twenty years ago they were. Um, now I'm a, I'm a little more pragmatic about the whole thing hmm. and and you you go knowing the chances and you know how to how to sell what you feel are the strengths in that in that story um, but it's it's still nice when you actually you know get a nibble and and start to think gee this might actually happen it's always exciting when that does happen yeah yeah, because people talk about, you know, critics and they can be rough, but I think, well, well you guys have been through a lot rougher before this show's got to air. So yeah. internally, I'm sure you're always all very critical of everything you do. Everything. So yeah. you do that internally. Yeah. And then with the commissioning broadcasters and that, again, you've already, so you go here, well, you know, yeah, do your best, mate, but we've already been through a fair Mo- bit. Yeah. Most people spend more time telling you what, what you can improve. And in terms okay. of that whole development process, yes. the pitch process, the development through production, uh, everyone sets out to make the best show possible. Mm. And to do that, um, you tend to concentrate on the things that should be improved. So you're always hearing, gee, that isn't quite as good as it could be, that isn't quite as good as it could be. But it's because everyone comes from the point of view of wanting to make the best show they can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What would we, um, and what can you talk about that we might hear next or see next from you? Um, nothing specific I can talk about. There's okay. three... Three concept stroke ideas, stroke, you know, one's a screenplay which uh, I'm heading over to Content 21 in London at the end of November. Oh, wow. And I'll be talking to people about, about those three and just seeing if... I've always wanted to go to that. It seems yeah, like a good little... It does seem like a really mm. good thing. Um, whether and how and at what pace, you know, whether they develop at all and at what pace they develop uh, will largely depend on whether there's a season two of Pine Gap, which we won't know okay. until... Um, later in the year when Netflix uh, put it up around the world. Yeah. All right, fantastic stuff. 
Greg Hadrick, look, it's always a pleasure to uh, chat to you. Enjoy your work. And uh, Pine Gap, if you've somehow missed the first one, they're all up there on iView. And I guess after the ABC window, will they be on Netflix in this market? Do they they do come onto Netflix eventually. in Australia, but I think but it's... further down the track. I'm not... It's going to be on the ABC for a while so. anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Plenty of yeah. time to, to do that. Greg, great to meet you again. Thank you, mate. Thanks, James.